Amen. Amen. Take your Bible and turn with me uh, to the book of Galatians. We're going to be in Galatians chapter number one. Uh, we're going to be spending a little bit of time in the book of Galatians. We find that we've moved out of uh, the gospel of Mark. And so uh, we're, why are we looking at Galatians? Now, one of the reasons why, you know, the last few years, Galatians is one of those books that it's so foundational to New Testament Christianity and to the faith. And in the last few years, the Lord has really blessed our church and allowed us to just add so many people. Well, look at this next slide real quick. We've added over 358 new members to the church in the last three years, which is absolutely, there she is, absolutely awesome and amazing. Now, people come from different backgrounds, okay? So if we were going through here, and those of you who have become part of the Grace family before now, most of you come from different backgrounds, right? Some uh, different faith backgrounds, different even denominations and things. See, people join a church for all kinds of reasons, okay? I mean, people... You know, they come because they like the music. They come because they maybe they moved to the area and they've connected to the church, right? Because of a, a church has a great children's ministry, like Grace Baptist has the best children's ministry in West Tennessee. And so, uh, or maybe the pastor is just better looking than their other pastor. And it's, they're just like, ugh. And then they're like, yeah, but that ugly worship leader. Amen. No, I'm just kidding. It could happen, okay? Some really old pastor out there somewhere, wrinkled up. It could happen. You can always say, what do we say? Friendliest church in West Tennessee, the shiniest pastor in West Tennessee. Amen? Well, hush up. You're going to amen that. I don't need you. But it's important uh, that people know what we believe. It's important that we know what we believe, why we believe. Now, Alicia and I, I don't know if you know this, we don't agree on everything, right? She allows me to be wrong sometimes. It's pretty nice. And we don't even agree on everything, but there's some things uh, as a church we have to agree on. And there's other things that aren't as primary that we have to agree on. And so there's nothing more important that we're aligned on, that we're on the same page on, as when it comes to the gospel, the good news, what the gospel of Jesus Christ really is. We've got to have that nailed down. Look at this next slide. We need to know this for ourselves, and we need to know it so that we can share it with other people. You need to be able to articulate what the real gospel is so that you can share it with people that you know and that you care about. And so in the book of Galatians is this short six brief chapters, but it's spiritual dynamite. This book is about how sinners become saints. It's amazing. And so as we get into it, there's a couple of terms that you're going to need to know. Write this down. The first term, you've heard this word before, legalism. Legalism. Working in my own power with my own rules in order to gain God's favor. Legalism. Working in my own power with my own rules. Because a lot of people, they make up their own rules even for church, right? I mean, you know, I like to go to a church where the preacher wears a suit. Well, you just made that up. You know, does that make sense? Or I'm not going to get that preacher wears a suit. I can't relate unless he's in skinny jeans. Amen. Well, you just made that up. I mean, you understand legalism. You're making up your own rules. You're doing it in your own power. And you think that this will merit or earn God's favor. That's what legalism is. One thing that you need to know. Look at this next slide. 
is that God's love for you is not based on your performance for him. And I'm glad. I was back there tonight. I was ready to throw that computer through the back wall. Amen? The internet quit on us twice in five minutes. It's nice while it works, isn't it? Amen? And so if God's love for me was based on my performance about ten minutes ago, he wouldn't love me very much because I was about ready to punt that computer. It got on my nerves so much. But that's good news. Are you ever perfect? Mm-mm. Right? And so uh, God's love isn't based on how good my attitude was about that computer for just a minute. Does that make sense? And God's love isn't based on how good you follow some rules that you made up for yourself or even how well you follow his rules. God's love for you is unconditional. At the core of most religions, his performance is about what you do and how well you do it, right? The heart of most religions is good advice and, and good behavior and good techniques and good programs and good things a lot of times but the gospel is good news and that's what sets it apart the heart of the gospel is good news the good news is that it doesn't depend upon us that's the best part because we would mess it up i can remember when i was younger reading about adam and eve and i was like man they just messed it up for everybody you know and i've always realized well if they hadn't have i would have amen if they hadn't and we made it this far and nobody had sinned, I'd be the one to mess it up. We'd all be sitting here and realize we were naked. Amen? <laughs> I would mess it up. And you, and you would too. Legalism. Next, write this down. Grace. What is grace? God's unmerited, undeserved kindness bestowed on sinners who deserve judgment. Now, there's other ways of defining it, but I like this one. Unmerited, undeserved kindness bestowed on sinners who deserve judgment. Now, grace also isn't a one-time event that happens that I get saved, I get grace, right? We receive God's grace, we stand in God's grace, we live in God's grace, we grow in grace, you find your place in grace, right? We are kept by God's grace. It's all about grace. And the book of Galatians, it's this letter that the Apostle Paul was writing to a group of Christian, uh, Christian churches, and they were leaving grace, and they were going to I started to make up a church's name, amen, like another church. All right, but they're leaving grace, and they're going into legalism. Legalism. And the Apostle Paul can't believe it. I'm going to just tell you the truth. Paul is ticked off. Paul, have you ever been ticked off before? Raise your hand. All, right, all you sanctified holy saints, right? Paul is ticked off. He is upset. Some of the strongest language found in all of the Bible is right here. He reserves for these churches. Now, we, before we jump into the churches, kind of let me just summarize the problem. Paul, on his first missionary journey, uh, he went through southern Galatia and was winning hundreds and hundreds of Gentiles to the Lord. It was amazing, this gospel of grace. And he established some great churches, really great churches, in each one of these cities. But these are young Christians, and they were getting uh, established in their freedom and faith, but these Jewish teachers, these Judaizers is what they were called, come on the scene, and they teach them that their faith and their salvation uh, weren't complete unless it was accompanied by Old Testament obedience to the law. In other words, hey, Gentile, non-Jewish believers, you've ultimately, what they're saying is you've got to become Jewish, to be saved, okay? It's faith in Jesus. It's all of that, but man, you got to add all these other things to it, right? And, and one of the things, or circumcision was one of the things they were wanting 
to add to it. And their attack was powerful. It was persuasive. It's just like, look, this is what God's word says. And they're like, well, we, we need to do it. And Paul, their spiritual father, hears it, and he cannot believe it. He goes ballistic. He can't believe anybody would leave grace for legalism. But people do it all the time. And he loves these people, and he can't believe they're being tricked into some false gospel. So he gets out his paper and his pen, and he writes them a letter. He tries to set them straight and get them back on the gospel track. And he starts his letter where he had to start, and that was defending his authority. The Judaizers were kind of saying to the... Paul started these churches, and then he left to go start more churches. And then these Judaizers come in, and they're like, hey, this faith in Jesus is the way. Right? But you gotta, you got to obey all these rules. you got to become Jewish, basically. Keep all the laws, all the commands. Keep the Sabbath. Do all these things. You have to become Jewish to be right with God. And oh, by the way, I mean, Paul's really not an apostle. Paul, I mean, you know. He's not really an apostle. He's not one of the twelve. Right? And so when Paul hears this, he has to begin by defending his apostleship. See, uh, they're saying, you can't believe Paul. He's not one of the 12, right? He wasn't here when Jesus was going around. He didn't see him crucified like the others did. And so they would disqualify him. So look, look at verse 1. Galatians 1, verse 1. He has to defend his apostleship. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. What is Paul saying? Before he defends his message, write this down. He is saying, I'm a trustworthy messenger. I am an apostle. I don't care what those people say. You can believe me. Don't let them deceive you. I've been appointed by God. Now, there's certain criteria that has to be met for you to be an apostle in the New Testament. Look at this next slide. To be a real apostle, you had to have seen the resurrected Christ and you had to have the message given to you by Jesus. That was the qualifications to be an apostle. And Paul says, that's me. I've seen Jesus, and I was given this message from Jesus. Now, he's not concerned about himself as a man, but he knows his message is based upon his trustworthiness, right? Just like if you were to go and share the good news with somebody at work, but you're a big old fat pagan hypocrite, it may, you know what I'm saying? Like you live, you know, your life is the complete opposite of the gospel, and then you share the gospel. Are they going to believe what you're saying about Jesus and the difference he can make in your life? Because they're not seeing any different in, in, difference in your life. So before Paul can defend his message, he has to defend himself as a messenger. He's like, man, I'm an apostle. I saw Jesus. And there's no doubt that Paul had told them about his conversion story, Jesus knocking him down on the road to Damascus, blinding him for three days. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 8 in your notes. He says, then last of all, he was seen by me also. Talking about Jesus, he's saying, I saw Jesus last, as by one born out of due time. He's saying, I'm, a, I'm an apostle, but I'm a little bit different. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He's saying, listen, I didn't ask for this. This isn't what I wanted. I don't even deserve the title. This is what's been given to me. In your, in your Bible there, go down to verse number 11, chapter 1, verse 11. He says, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. Where did it come from? The revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying, listen, I, I saw the resurrected Christ, and I received my message personally from Jesus. I didn't learn this from a man. 
Jesus gave this message to me. I was taught by Jesus. And so what's interesting is there's this undertone. You might have picked it up in that last verse. I don't deserve to be called an apostle. This is not, you know, he's kind of, he's almost a reluctant apostle. A reluctant apostle. Like he's not really that thrilled about it. You know, it wasn't a position that he was wanting and, and he was persecuting Christians. He was killing Christians when God called him and saved him. But he wasn't looking. It's this, I put it in my notes, big letters, righteous reluctance. Righteous reluctance. You can go through the Bible, men and women of God, throughout the word of God, you see this reluctance in their life, this righteous reluctance. Paul had it. Moses had it. Lord, I can't talk. You've got to send somebody else. David had it. Jeremiah had it. Jonah had it. He got in a boat going the opposite direction. Isaiah had it. Esther had it. Undoubtedly called by God, but there's this righteous reluctance where this isn't my idea. This was not Paul's idea. Paul says, I didn't come up with this. I was called by God. I was given this message from God. God gave it to me. God called me, gifted, empowered, and he has sent me. I mean, I can identify with that. I mean, the last thing I ever wanted to do was become a pastor. I mean, seriously, I mean, you couldn't imagine that. When I was a kid, I thought preachers were born in suits. Like they just came out of the womb in a three-piece suit. Amen? And had big, loud, booming voices and, and, and comb-overs. Amen? <laughs> I've got the 2020 version. <laughs> but I did. I mean, I just never thought that I would serve God in the ministry. It really wasn't my idea. I didn't, it wasn't something I ascribed to. And I promise you, I would have never been voted most likely to pastor a church when I was in school. Okay? That would have never... Some of y'all are like, amen, and okay, I hear you, Jonathan. <laughs> but it's the truth, Right? And it's, it's not my idea to be in the ministry. And I kind of relate to that because that's the Apostle Paul. Because it wasn't his idea at all. I didn't ask for this job. I didn't look for this job. God called me to this job. God gave me the message. I'm giving the message to you. And ultimately what Paul is saying, number two, write this down. He's saying that the gospel is unique. The gospel is unique. So he's moving from himself. Listen, I'm an apostle to the message. Look at verse number three. He opens up with grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord. By the way, without grace, no peace. So he says, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Paul right there just gives us the gospel in a nutshell, man. Just a nice little package. Those two verses, verse 3 and verse 4, the gospel right there. So what is the gospel? Write this down. That Jesus died willingly. He gave his life. Nobody took it from him. Now we recognize that he died at the hands of sinful men, but he died willingly. Look at verse number 4 again. It says, who, what, what's the word? Gave himself for our sins. Uh, the Father didn't love humanity so much that he had to force Jesus to go to Calvary, right? Jesus voluntarily gave himself for those who would believe and trust in him. Jesus went to the cross walking in the will of his heavenly Father, but in his own will also. Jesus died willingly. Next, write this down. Jesus died on our behalf. He died for you and for me. This is the the theological word vicarious, the vicarious death of Christ. Have you heard that expression before? Vicarious? That's what it means. It means to do something on behalf of another person. 
And so what he did, he died vicariously. He didn't die for himself. He, just, he died for me and he died for you. Jesus died for our sins. He didn't die for nice people or church people or people that are patient with that dumb computer back there or righteous people. He died for sinners. And all of us are sinners. That's why the first step of salvation is recognizing that you're a sinner. I hammer this all the time. That's why we kind of walk through some of those Ten Commandments. Oh, I probably do it this Sunday now that I thought about it. We do that all the time because many people struggle with recognizing that they're sinners. They know they messed up, but somehow they got into this comparison trap and they think, well, I'm better than them and I'm better than them. I'm all right. I was born in America, stamped Christian on my forehead. I'm good to go. It just doesn't work like that. And so what do we do? We always like, so I, you're a, have you ever told a lie? What does that make you? A liar. Have you ever stolen something at all? Anything, right? Ever borrowed something, never gave it back? That makes you a thief, right? Have you ever looked at a woman with lust? Have you ever looked at a man with lust in your heart? They call that, a, Jesus said that's adultery. And it's serious. Use God's name in an unworthy manner. Have you ever just attached his name to anything or used it as a punchline in a joke? That's blasphemy. And God's word says all blasphemers and liars will have their part in the lake of fire. That's how serious God takes his name. Holy, holy, holy. And so we think that we're as good as our neighbor or that idiot at work, right? The, the, the bum across the street or, or that mean woman in town. We think we're better than them and somehow that makes us right with God. And it doesn't. We're lying, thieving, blaspheming, adulterating our heart. And if we stand before God on the day of judgment, we'll be found guilty of our sins. And he'll send us to spend an eternity in a place called hell. He'll put his no with your no and it'll be the final no. We are sinners. Before you can ever receive the good news, man, you got to hear and own the bad news. We are sinners. And Jesus came and died on our behalf. Why? Because we couldn't save ourselves. That's who Christ died for. Now, see, write this down. Jesus' death was victorious. Victorious. His death was victorious. Look at verse number four. It says, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. I love that. By the way, there's some components here, salvation in the future, but he's delivered us right now. It's as real as if right now you're living here now, but you're not a citizen here anymore. You have a heavenly citizenship. Christ came to rescue us. Now, other religious leaders came to teach. Does that make sense? They, they come to teach, and they teach nice things and, and good things and maybe helpful things. Jesus was the greatest teacher who ever lived, man. The greatest teacher ever. And that wasn't even the main thing that he was doing. That's how good he is. He came to rescue. He came to rescue. He didn't come to teach. Right? I mean, that was, he did that. Again, that's just how amazing he is. The greatest teacher who ever walked the face of the earth. And he wasn't even trying. Amen? But he came to rescue us. There's a big difference. If I see you drowning and I throw you a manual on how to swim, is that going to save you? Here, learn how to swim. I'm going to teach you something. No. You need a life preserver. That's what Jesus did. Jesus saw that you were drowning in your own sin and your sinfulness. He didn't throw you a manual out on how to get yourself out of this situation. He threw you a life preserver himself. Jesus is our rescuer. He died for us because we couldn't do it for ourselves. He rescued us, and he delivers us from this present evil age. 
And the, of course, and the, the victory is in that Jesus is alive, man. Jesus is alive. He's not dead. He's alive. Paul says, look at verse 1 again. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, what? Who raised him from the dead. You know what's interesting? Um, right here, Paul says that the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Okay, Paul says the Father raised Jesus from the dead. We're looking at your notes, Romans 8, 11. It says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Okay, so Paul says here in Galatians, the Father raised Jesus from the dead. And then in the book of Romans, he's saying the spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Okay, and then in, if you know, in John chapter 10, uh, by the way, Jesus, no less than three times here, he says, I lay down my life and I'll take it up again, basically, right? I lay down my life, I'll take it up again. I lay down my life, I'll take it up again. Look at verse 18 in your notes. He says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. All right, so Paul said in Galatians, it's the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. In the book of Romans, he says it's the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Here in the Gospel of John, Jesus is saying, I'll lay it down, I'll take it back up again. Well, which one is right? They're all right. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three persons in the Trinity played a role in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because the death and resurrection of Jesus is the central pillar of the Christian faith. So what's the gospel? Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, voluntarily died and gave his life for our sins to rescue us from our sin, from death, from the judgment of God, and from this present evil age we're living in right now. And he victoriously rose from the dead and is alive forevermore. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And the result of that is those of us who believe him and surrender to him, we experience forgiveness, we experience grace, we experience his peace that surpasses all understanding, and he gives it to us. And what Paul makes clear that this is God's doing. This isn't some Judaizer's doing. This isn't man's doing. This is all God's doing. It's God's plan. It's God's calling. It's God's work. It's his action. So God gets the glory. Not me, not anybody else, but God gets all the glory. Because it's all his. And Paul is saying, how ignorant is it of you to think that you could add something to this amazing, beautiful plan. Like, what part of the gospel do you think that you contribute to? How do you think you're so good that your goodness makes the good news even gooder? I'm just doing all new grammar here, people. That's, that, that's Greek. Gooder. What part of you do you think contributes to the gospel? Nothing, Paul says. You're telling God that he hasn't done enough. You're telling God that he hasn't done enough. Look at this next slide. You can't add to the gospel. It's not even the gospel. Not at all. You can't add to it. Because if you add to it, it's no longer the gospel. It's no longer the good news. Uh, one old gospel preacher, he said this. He said when he was young and he first started preaching... He said, you know, there's nothing better than the gospel, right? There's nothing better than the gospel. Then he was in the ministry for a little while, had a few years of preaching under his belt. And then he said, you know what? Nothing compares to the gospel. 
Then he got a little bit down the road in his life, and he was near the end of his life, and he knew he didn't have very many uh, years left. And as he reflected on his life, he said, he said, there's nothing but the gospel. Not that there's nothing better. Not that no, there's just nothing that compares. There's nothing but the gospel. The gospel is everything. I hope you're hearing this. It's not just like there isn't anything like the gospel. There isn't anything as good as the gospel. There isn't any good news that's better than the good news of Jesus Christ. But there's nothing but the good news. Ultimately, it's the only thing that matters. So don't add to it. Because when you do, you just, well, you, number three, write this down. You need to understand this. The gospel is serious, man. Serious. Look at verse 6 in your Bible. So here's, here's where Paul, right? He's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm pointed by man. I got this message from God. Jesus is raised from the dead, you know, to deliver us from this present evil age and all of that. And then he's like, welcome to SmackDown Live. Here he goes. Verse 6. He says, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Not, 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 not like that you, hey, you're messing up. It's a different God. And I'm amazed. I'm, it blows my mind that you could turn so soon to a different gospel. Verse 7, which is not another. So it's not even a gospel, right? This is something else. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul sees these Galatians in this, as turncoats, traitors to the gospel. What would we say today? Benedict Arnold. Benedict Arnold. Right? He's saying you are being Benedict Arnold's to the gospel. I'm amazed. I am just blown away that you who have received so much grace that you're turning from that and turning to another gospel that's not even the gospel, that you've been tricked. And he's saying when he says you're turning away from the gospel, you're turning away from Jesus. It means to switch sides. He's saying when you leave the way of God, you're trying to leave God himself. When you walk away from grace, you're walking away from God. And that's serious. And it's so serious that they've turned to a different gospel that's not even a gospel at all. And in, 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 the, in the Greek there, in that other verse where it says different, it's the word heteros. You know the word heterosexual. Heterosexual. When someone's heterosexual, they're interested in somebody of the opposite sex, right? And Paul says you've turned to a hetero gospel, an opposite gospel. Okay, it's not just, it's not like one degree off. It's opposite completely different directions. You've turned to an opposite, a hetero gospel, right? Works-based salvation is the opposite of grace-based salvation, no matter how much Bible you use to try to back it up. And he says this opposite gospel has no power to save anyone because it's not even the gospel at all, man. And just in case, the Galatians weren't picking up what he was setting down, if you will. If they weren't picking up how serious Paul is saying that this is, he gives it, look at verse 8. This is, this is next level. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say it again. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Let him be under God's curse. The Greek word for that is anathema. Have you ever heard that word before? Anathema. 
That's, that's the word in Greek. It means to be a curse. Let me tell you, let me, let me break it down to you a little. Thank you, baby. Let me break it down to you a little West Tennessee. It means they can go to hell. That's what it means to be cursed in the Bible. When you see somebody, you know, when, they, when the Jews would say anyone who hung from a tree is cursed, they're saying anybody who's hung from a tree is going to hell. So to be a curse, to be anathema, it means go to hell. Paul is saying that if anybody else shows up, even a supposed angel from heaven, and they come and they teach you and they pervert this gospel of grace and love and mercy, and they turn it to something else, a hetero gospel, an opposite gospel, if anybody does that, let them go to hell. That's what Paul is saying. Literally what Paul is saying. And maybe you're thinking, like, have you ever said something you regret? Right? You ever pop off a little? Right? Alicia does it all the time. <laughs> Pops off, man. Pops off. Y'all pray for me. And so, but listen, Paul is so serious and he means what he says so much he said it twice. Just in case you didn't pick up on that first anathema, I'm dropping it a second time. Let them be anathema. Curse. Let them go to hell. What is going on? Is that the rapture? I didn't think that's what it would sound like when the trumpets. Okay. Paul says, let them go to hell. He says, if me or a supposed angel or anyone else tells you, tries to pervert this true gospel, anathema. But he says there's to be no compromise. Now, guys, this is why we take really seriously the conferences that we go to and the speakers that we allow to come here to Grace and that we send groups to is because how serious Paul says we're supposed to take the gospel. And so if we bring a speaker in or do something that preaches a different gospel, Paul is saying, man, you Benedict Arnold, you traitor, you turncoat. And that person who is preaching a perversion of the gospel, a hetero gospel, anathema. Anathema. And that's why we can't just go listen to any old speaker or any old preacher or just bring anybody in who we're not 100% sure that they're doctrinally sound because the gospel is serious. It is very serious. It's so serious. Paul is like, they're sending people to hell. Let them go to hell. That's how serious Paul says that it is. And it's so easy to happen. The clarity, the, simpli- the beautiful simplicity of the gospel, right? The clarity and simplicity of the gospel, it can be lost so easily. So easily, right? The gospel is accepted, then it's assumed, then it gets confused, then it gets lost. How do we know when we're losing the gospel? The surest way in your heart that you're losing a grasp of what the gospel really is. The most easiest way on the individual level is when you begin looking at yourself as better than unbelievers. First sign, man. First sign. When you begin to think of yourself as better than, more than, unbelievers. Right? When a believer looks down at an unbeliever, you've forgotten that what you got was a free gift, man. You didn't deserve that. You received grace, and you didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't add anything to it. Never think that when God got you that he got a good deal. It reminds me of the song. Um, God got you off the goodwill bin. Amen? 
Remember, we had a, when we used to be in Saul de Paul, we would do autographs because we were, used to be so cool. And, um, and we'd have these black and white uh, uh, glossy things that we would give away. I mean, mostly so people would ask us for our autograph. And so we would sell our CDs and our T-shirts, and we'd sign things, right? And, I, you know, big time. And, we, and because we were so humble, we always put Bible verses on it, right? And mine was Joshua 24, 15, you know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so everybody had their own little favorite Bible verse. And so Marcus Kelly and Joshua 24, 15, you know, God bless and uh, hashtag humble. And, um, and so and it's so funny. Several years later, somebody found it. They found one of our pictures in a frame in the Goodwill bin for $4. Amen. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure the frame was $4. The picture was included. Amen. <laughs> Woo. Ah. You know, that's what I was when God found me. I was a $4 picture. I was a $0 picture in a $4 frame on the bin at Goodwill. Amen? God didn't get a bargain when he got me. I got the greatest bargain of my life when I got Jesus because he gave me everything. Often we think that, the, that when we're walking with God and God is with us and, and, and often we think that somehow the absence of problems and troubles and those kinds of things equal, always equal the presence of God. And what we see here in this, these churches in the book of Galatians is that while there's simplicity in the gospel, often people confuse it and mess it up. And they revert to a hetero gospel. And when we revert to a hetero gospel, we're teaching people a perverted gospel that is no gospel at all and that is sending them to hell. And Paul says anathema. It'd be better for me to go to hell than to teach a gospel that wasn't the real gospel. While we receive his grace, man, we don't deserve it, we don't earn it, and please, Lord, may we never forget it. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer.